Welcome to the Herpreneur Wellness Show. I am your host, Annette Lackovich. Join me as I bring you some of the most cutting edge and coolest people on the planet to help you live a bigger, more fuller life as a female entrepreneur. More health, more wealth, more happiness as you continue to grow your extraordinary business and an extraordinary life. Let's do it. It's official. Raise your glasses. Your business is now speaking to the masses. I don't know about you, but I am feeling so motivated right now. School is back and now we can go into launch period. Oh my gosh, it feels so good to roll up my sleeves and just get stuck into work again. Through school holidays, I always do the bare minimum so I can be as present as I can for Braxton. However, doing the main obligations that I have, which is coaching my private clients and obviously doing the podcast for you girls. So now we are in launch period, which is great. Pete and I will be rolling up our sleeves, getting our new messages out there, be able to help more people with our purpose. Speaking of purpose, one of my purposes is to help you be that best version of yourself. And today we have the founder of Sober School, Kate B, who grew up in the era of Sex in the City and Bridget Jones's Diary. For her, drinking was simply what successful independent women do. After all, she was a journalist and a TV producer at BBC, and drinking after work was how people socialised. She was getting sick and tired of the hangovers and feeling ashamed about how much drinking she was doing. She decided that she wanted to get sober, but when she reached out for support, there was pretty much two ends of the spectrum. One, we really didn't have a problem, and one that you're pretty much in the gutter. So she shares her story today. Today's quite a long interview. We did cut it down, but I didn't want to cut too much out because... Kate actually goes through a lot of her own experiences, a lot of tips that you can do if you're trying to taper down, if you're wanting to reduce your drinking totally altogether, and goes into a lot of detail about what other women are experiencing. She's helped thousands of women around the world globally, and it's great to actually have her on the show today all the way from the UK. Let me introduce you to Kate B. Ladies, we have just come out of probably the booziest season of the year, Christmas. And I don't know how many of you right now have been trying to stop the drinking, slow it down or take a break and find it a little bit hard because, you know, obviously we've got all these different emotional connections to alcohol. We have connections with the sugar craving, with the socialization. There's so much attached to it. And if you find at the moment that you are still trying to slow down the drinking, if you're sick of the hangovers, the guilt, the craving, or the weight gain, then you're going to love this show today. Today, we have the founder of Sober School, Kate B, and she is here to actually give us some great tips, actually share her story, and be able to help you kick your drinking for good or to be able to have more of an alcohol-free life without feeling ashamed and feeling like you are a full-blown alcoholic. She has an amazing story today to be able to say you're okay, and she's got some great tips to help us along the way. Big welcome, Kate. Welcome to the Herpreneur Wellness Show. It's so great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to talk to you about this. Kate, I reached out to you because, as you know, we spoke off off air or when I reached out to you in the first email. 
I did a survey last year and um, it was to a lot of women, so probably about two and a half thousand women. The results were astounding, which was how many of them used alcohol for stress. And the reason why I needed to ask that question, because that's what I was doing as well. A year and a half before that, I decided that I really wanted to cut down on my drink because every night I'd finish work and I'd get that glass of wine and I was using that to relax. It was really hard just to to stop that habit. And I just thought, how many other women are using this to reduce their stress levels? So that's wow. why I reached out to you because I thought that we need to be able to get some help and support to be able to slow it down, which is what I did all of last year. And I lost weight, which was wonderful. Um, <laughs> and I loved your story. So if we can even start there with where were you at? Who were you? What made you have that wake up call to say, I need to start sobering up and how sober school was all finally launched? Can you take us back? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the sober school came about purely because of my own experience. I'd say I was always one of those people that seemed to be missing a bit of an off switch when it came to alcohol. Um, (laughs) You know, it didn't matter whether I was at a party or at a bar with friends or, yeah, having a few drinks at home, just like you've described, to Mm -hmm. unwind after a stressful day. No matter what I was doing, I never seemed to be able to follow through on my plan of just having one or just having two. So I had a pretty kind of, uh, not out of control, but unhealthy uh, relationship with alcohol from the get-go. And I could see that I was drinking differently to other people. What's so hard with alcohol is that on the one hand, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're told that just having a few drinks is fine, but, you know, heavy drinking is also normalized. And like so many people, I went to university where drinking is practically a hobby. It's what you do in your free time. (laughs) (laughs) And then I I worked in journalism for a long time, which is a kind of environment where you work hard and you party harder. So Mm. I was getting a lot of very confusing messages about what was normal, what wasn't. And I absolutely couldn't imagine stopping drinking. I thought my entire social life would just shrivel up and die. It would be the worst thing ever. So I spent a long time really swinging back and forth between thinking, hey, my drinking's fine, isn't it? It's normal. And I looked at the people around me. And then I'd also have mornings when I'd wake up feeling absolutely horrific, just feeling so hungover. Mm. Or I'd wake up at 4am. That was real killer for me. Um, Alcohol really disrupted my sleep. So I'd, you know, wake up swearing that I wasn't going to do this again, but kind of knowing that 12 hours later, I probably would. And And the big problem for me was just trying to find help and support. And I felt so lost, like there was nothing out there that resonated with me. So share with us your experience. So when I'd look for help to stop drinking, I found that things fell into two camps. You either had the brigade that was sort of saying, hey, we'll just cut down a bit, have some alcohol-free nights each week, you know, try to set limits around your drinking or the old classic one, alternate every alcoholic drink with water, which like sounds 
like it should make sense, but it's such a pain. No one really wants to do that. <laughs> so that kind of stuff wasn't working for me. And then when I looked more at how to get proper help, I was finding that the only routes available to me really were things like rehab, which I absolutely didn't need to go to. I thought I'd be laughed out of there for not having enough of a problem. And I also looked at AA meetings. You know, AA really works for some people. But for me, I went to those meetings and I walked out thinking, wow, I'm not like these people. I am not bad enough. My life isn't in the gutter. I haven't lost everything. Perhaps I don't really have a problem after all. So there's nothing in between. Yeah, it was such a confusing time. And I spent years and years really ignoring my gut instinct that something wasn't right because there was all this, all this evidence and different factors that seemed to be telling me that things weren't yet bad enough for me to be doing something about it. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, I think it was in 2013, in January that year, I tried to do dry January. Mm-hmm. And I got the year off to the most perfect start because I went to this health and fitness boot camp. So I spent the first few days of that year being chased up muddy hills by former army officers, which was, <laughs> was just brutal. <laughs> and I came home thinking, right, this is it. This is going to be my year. I've got this. No more drinking, no more eating unhealthily. Anyway, by about the 6th of January, I'd given up on all that. It was too hard. Mm. And what it was made such you a way. Was it, was it a party? Was it just uh, like, I'll just have one drink or was it a social event? Like, what was it that? That was the thing, really. It was just, I think it was a, a Friday or a Saturday night mm. at the end of a, a tough week. It was yeah. the first week back to work after the Christmas break. And I just thought to myself, I can't manage without my wine and I was just at home just watching TV but it seemed the idea of trying to relax and switch off from the week without drinking was unfathomable I just couldn't get my head around it Mm. and that's when I realized I was actually in a little bit deeper than I thought and all my friends were doing dry January this was the humiliating part they were doing it because it's been quite a big thing here for a while Mm. and I had to pretend to still be doing it because <laughs> they, they were actually like really doing it, taking it seriously. And I think that kind of guilt and shame of mm. not really doing it definitely flicked a switch for me somewhere deep inside. And I thought, OK, you know, th- th- this isn't right. And in April of that year, so it took a few more months, I decided that I was going to take a break from drinking And I challenged myself to stop for 100 days. And I thought, you know, I'm really going to throw the book at it this time. I'm going to devote significant amount of time and energy to trying to learn more about alcohol. And, you know, I'm not just going to do this on a wing and a prayer like I did before. And basically, I've I've never looked back. Mm. I I thought I would go back to drinking after those 100 days, but I didn't. I didn't want to. And I did read it's your sixth Christmas that you've yeah. been sober, haven't had a drink at all. Yay! <laughs> now, in this time, you've helped around 2,000 women actually go through your courses right now. With that many women, obviously you hear and see patterns. What's some common things that you hear or see that they say to realise that they're actually not alone? 
I remember you saying before on the the phone, like a lot of them are like saying, I thought I was the only one that was having trouble with this. Like what are some of the common things that you normally hear from the women that go through your program? Yeah, I mean, that's a massive one because even though the conversations that we're having around alcohol are changing and things are getting better, people still feel terribly isolated around this issue. And so, yeah, I have a lot of people say to me that they cannot believe there are other people out there who are stuck in this funny gray zone where you know that alcohol isn't serving you and you have this feeling that your drinking isn't normal, whatever that is, but you equally know that you know, you haven't lost everything. You're not the down and out who's drinking in the morning and who's lost their job. In fact, to the outside world, everything probably looks okay. You are keeping the show on the road and you might even be you know, quite successful in business or life or you take your health quite seriously. People often feel as if they're putting this great show on and this Oscar winning performance of being normal (laughs) and they're hiding what's really going on behind the scenes. So I hear that a lot from people, that sense of isolation. And also, you know, you were talking about your survey. Mm. That's the thing I hear from people a lot as well is, well, how else am I meant to unwind without drinking that's just what we do Mm, yeah because um my background is more of the sort of positive psychology and for me it was like look I really need to I know that when I was highly stressed my highest stress time was when really I was drinking more and more and more and the weight was packing on and on and on. It didn't matter how good I ate during the day. It was always I'd have that red wine at night and I want the chocolate with it. So it was just like it would just like yeah. damage the, 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 the calorie intake. And so what I did was I started to go – you know what is it is it is it is it an addiction to the high is it the is it the sugar craving is it the bringing you into the complete now and the presence of complete satori and for me i did some work on myself and i thought i think that there is so much stress and everything about my life was about work 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 I realized for myself that I actually wasn't fully fulfilled. And I went, what mm. is what is missing in my life that I I feel like I need to fill that void? And so for me, I did some work on myself and I realized that the one thing that really just brings me so much happiness that nothing ever, ever can compete with this feeling is dancing, right? So I went, right, <laughs> that's it. I'm getting back into my routine since I had my son. I've lost that routine. I'm just working or I'm a mum. I need to put me back into the picture. So I came to realize pretty damn quickly that I was finding happiness and a good feeling from dancing, from the physical activity, which is what I was wanting from the glass of wine in the evening, was to relax and to feel happy. And that's why this show came about, was all because I wanted women to learn about fulfilment. And this is why we finished the show with the question, which is what's one thing that lifts your level of happiness? And I want them to choose a physical activity because if you choose a physical activity, it increases your serotonin, right? You cannot get depressed when you have serotonin pumping through your body, right? We actually have the tablet. We actually have the one medical thing that stops depression and it's exercise, right? So it's like, what is that physical activity? 
make yourself go to the gym after work, do a yoga class, do something that changes your level of your vibration so you're not reaching for that thing that's filling that void. It's actually finding that thing that actually makes you happy. Well, I think you have mentioned something really, really important there. You asked exactly the right question, which is, why am I not feeling fulfilled? And and why am I reaching for that glass of wine? Mm -hmm. So before I give you any tips on, you know, literally how to deal with a craving for picking up that glass of wine when you're at home and, you know, maybe you're going to be there all evening because you're looking after the kids or whatever. I would say that the thing most people fail to do is to step back and say, okay, so what is going on in my life that is making me want to numb out from my one and only life by using this powerful drug Mm -hmm. every evening? Because alcohol is a drug. We are kind of trained to forget that through marketing and social media and the way that we talk about it culturally. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a really big deal if you are yeah, like kind of self-medicating with this drug every day. So, yes, part of it is about stepping back and saying, OK, like, you know, how I feel at five o'clock, that is a reflection of everything else that's gone on in the day. So maybe something is way out of whack during my day and I am stressed out to the max from the minute I open my eyes and I'm dealing with work emails before my feet have even hit the floor. (laughs) Or, or, you know, maybe there are other factors going on in my life, such as an unfulfilling relationship or an unhappy job. You know, it's about looking at alcohol as the symptom of what else is going on Mm -hmm. in your world not just focusing on how can I avoid picking up that glass of wine. Yes. So, yeah. Mm, yeah, that's so true. I love that you said that it, that it is self-medicating, isn't it? Mm. It is. Yeah. It is. So one of the things would you suggest, um, and maybe what you do in your school, is is it a lot of personal development stuff then? Is it like looking at the symptoms and like looking at where else in their life they're needing to get more of that fulfilment from or...? Yeah. So what we do is we do a combination of looking at the root causes and so looking at, yeah, that personal development and the things in our lives that aren't quite working and what we can do to try and change that. And for a lot of women, it's about uh, getting more help and support and setting more realistic expectations of what they can do bringing in some more self-care because we tend to be pretty hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and drinking isn't self-care. Drinking, you know, a a cancer causing toxin is not Um, Mm self-care. So it's partly about looking at those root causes. It's partly about finding some alternative coping mechanisms. So when you feel those uncomfortable feelings like stress, planning what you can do instead And then we also look at some really basic things. So one thing I see a lot of people tripping up over is that at four or five o'clock in the day, the chances are you are slightly dehydrated and hungry. Mm -hmm. So I always say to people, not, you know, put a reminder on your phone that you are going to drink a glass or two of water at four o'clock, no matter what, because you just want to stay on top of that. 
And then if you are hungry, have a snack to eat or bring your mealtime forward. A lot of that danger zone happens when you are killing time, waiting to you know have dinner at seven or eight o'clock at night. Yes, so yeah. some practical stuff you can do there too. Mm. I love that you said that because one of the things I do now is I don't eat, enough, eat after seven o'clock. So it's at six o'clock. I'm eating pretty early now with my son on weekdays. Um, mm. So I, I like what you're saying there because it could be that wait time between. Or I noticed, and this is what I say to my husband, I said to him, you know, if I ever like have a really good sized meal, and I don't mean like it's like crap food, I mean like fish and like a massive plate full of veggies. And I said, I feel so satisfied that I don't even want to drink. <laughs> so it's interesting you say that with the hunger. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was always the case for me too. And I mean, also part of me used to think, well, what's the point of drinking now I've eaten? Because I'm probably not going to feel the effects so much, which is an interesting kind of train of thought. Um, Because I used to like to tell myself I drank for the taste, but I didn't really. Because if I thought I wasn't going to feel that buzz, then I wasn't so interested. So that's Mm, kind of something to to think about. Yeah. I find now because my alcohol intake increased, we moved from one side of Australia to another and we were entertaining so much. And for me, I just know entertaining is just always with alcohol. And I just know now that it's just learning to taper down again. And for me, it's like I like Mm. to use the weekends of the resting points. That's where I need that help. One of the things that I did was... Um, I went to preservative free wine. So I was like, how can I get the healthiest version? Because there is no regulations what's in wine. We don't know what chemicals they're putting in there, what sulfates. They don't, that is the one piece of food that there's no regulations mm-hmm. on. They don't have anything on bottles of what's on there. Yeah. So I do know now that just changing to an organic and a preservative-free wine, allowing me not to feel like it's that real drunk feeling um, and having those like a horrible night sweat or, you know, waking up with the guilt. <laughs> so that's sort of what I've been doing to sort of, you know, not to have as much guilt. But um, I'd love to know your take mm. on this. Like what did you do to start to go from – from drinking to then not drinking at all? Because I'm sure it has to be a very strong decision. My sister-in-law is like, that's it, I'm not going to drink for a couple of months. And I'm like, I just don't know if I'm ready just to say I'm not ready to fully drink because I still like to like those pit stops. So where am I at? Yeah. What most women like with that was like, is that that's the crutch? They're like, I need it on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the important thing to say is we're all different. And if that change that you've made is working for you and it's making you feel good and it's fitting in with your life then all power to you and you know that will work for some people but I guess the the question to ask yourself is you know am I still drinking more than I intend to or am I feeling bad about my drinking is it making me feel miserable and I think some people who are concerned about their drinking, they might take a break from it. Maybe they you know, take a month off. And then when they go back to drinking, they find that um, they kind of reset that habit and that's great. And they've stopped doing things on autopilot. But for other people, if they really, you know, dig deep and kind of 
reflect on this, they might find that they have been creating rules around their drinking for years, if not decades. What do you mean? And so when we are trying to keep alcohol in our lives and we know that we're having a bit too much, we might create rules such as I can only drink on certain days or I can only drink a certain kind of alcohol. (laughs) That's everything I've just said. (laughs) (laughs) Friday night, Saturday night is fine. (laughs) And I like to be preservative free. Right. The difference is, are you sticking to that? (laughs) Yes, I do. Though over the Christmas period, it was like, woo, let's have some fun. (laughs) But I'm going to have my preservative free wine. So I know like it was like tapering back down. But for me... I think um, I've so made the decision of, and mine's attached to weight and how I feel. Like, I just know that I just don't want to go back to the weight that I was before. And it's like, really, how do I be that best version of myself? So for me, it's like, I don't want to go back. Like, this this is it. Like, I feel like I know my zone. I know what helps me manage my level of happiness. And I don't want to get something to pull me totally off my compass again, ever. Yeah, and it sounds like that's quite a strong motivator for you and that's kind of keeping you on track. Whereas some of us, what happens to me and what I see happen to a lot of women who take my course is that they come up with these rules and then they're not able to stick to them. So they create a new rule. Maybe it's hey, actually, I'm going to ban alcohol from my house. I'm only going to drink with in certain settings or with certain people. And they find creative ways to break that rule. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, you know, it's um, I'm going to have, um, I'm going to put ice cubes in my glass to water down every drink, but then they drink double the amount. There's a kind of really fine line out there between a rule or, um, you know, a way of controlling your drinking that works for you and makes you feel good. And something that actually is just yet another line you're crossing. And that's the really tricky area to define, you know, if that's working for you or not, or if it's just a kind of another tactic that's just not happening. Mm, I love that. That is so great. So tell us a little bit about Sober School. What do you guys do there? Um, If the girls wanted to know more about it, um, tell us just a bit of an overview on how it works. So SoberSchool.com. I write a blog nearly every week with tips and strategies and things to help you if you are trying to cut down or stop or take a break. And then I also run this six-week course, which I run a couple of times each year. So I'm just in the middle of teaching my uh, January class right now. It's a step-by-step guide to stopping drinking and feeling good about it for people who either know that they want to stop or they want to take a break and they've tried to maybe, you know, do a dry July or dry January, whatever, and they haven't been able to stick to it. So they know they need that extra accountability and support. Mm. And a big part of everything I do, whether it's with my course or my blog, it's about getting the message out there that you can live a happy and fulfilling life without alcohol. You really can. You aren't going to be feeling miserable and deprived for the rest of your days, like mm. wishing you could drink again. 
You do have a gift for the audience today. So if they want to start just to this journey with you and learn more, tell them a bit about the gift that they've got that they can actually grab from you. Sure. So I've got a wine o'clock survival guide that you can download and it's got some tips and strategies for just getting you through that five to seven o'clock point time of the day, which is when people are most likely to drink, even when they said they're not going to, or they're going to be good tonight. So um, people can download that over at thesoberschool.com forward slash wine o'clock. So all one word, wine o'clock. Yeah, that's just got some really easy, easy to implement tips to keep you on track tonight. That's so cool to hear the wine o'clock and the five mm. to seven. Because I think if yeah. you know, if that's normally the highest time of craving where most people have like a sugar craving, like around that three o'clock. So it's like, if you start to have that sugar craving, like if you can get like a bit of fat into your diet, like some almond butter or like a mm. nice, like fatty type, a good healthy fat type and avocado type of shake. And that just starts to stop that sugar craving. And that's just so interesting that you're saying this wine o'clock is around that five to seven, because if they can beat past that, and that's what it was like with me. It was like normally when I was cooking my dinner with my son, I'd be like, I'd like to have that glass of wine with him. I was glass of wine, glass of wine while I'm cooking up with my son. <laughs> glass of wine (laughs) while I'm cooking his dinner. And I was like, right, because if I could just swap that wine to mineral water, which I wasn't a mineral water drinker, by the way, but I just thought bubbly, it felt like it had something in it with some lemon and lemon just cures any type of sugar craving. And that was around that time frame. And the funny thing is, like I say to you now, I ate dinner really early with him. Yeah. So wine o'clock, five to seven is the highest amount of time that most people crave wine. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's a combination of so many different things. Like we've touched upon, um, you know, the the sugar dip and feeling hungry, also feeling a bit tired because it's the end of the day. But for many of us and many people in your audience, I think drinking, they view drinking as a way of drawing a line under the working part of the day. And we make that transition into family life in the evening. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. (laughs) But here's one of the things you can do, which you've kind of discovered, is if you create a new routine around having an alcohol-free drink instead – that can really fill that void. Um, my favorite drink to have at that time of day is a glass um, with grapefruit juice mixed with slimline tonic water, as in what you'd have in a mm-hmm. gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. But I love that combination because it's really bitter. And I was a white wine drinker. And I think there's something about the acidity of that drink that still hits a spot for me. But the routine and ritual you can create around having an alcohol-free drink is incredible. I also say to people, don't forget about all the other things you do at wine o'clock because people put this great, they put alcohol up on a pedestal and give it all these wonderful qualities and kind of idolize it really. But actually, there's an awful lot going on when you're drinking. I mean, if you've been at work all day, the chances are you've come home, you've changed into some comfy clothes, you're away from your stressful office environment, or you've closed your laptop. So 
mentally you are powering down anyway and you're doing that without alcohol the wine is just such a small part of what relaxes you at that time of day and we've got to be really clear on that Mm, I love that you say that Kate thanks so much for being on the show today we're going to have the link that you mentioned for wine o'clock and the link below if you're listening to iTunes otherwise if you go to annettelackovich.com forward slash sober s-o-b-e-r all the information's there Kate I would love to finish this interview with this question we finish it with everybody they interview on the show what is the one thing that you do on a very regular basis daily must be weekly at least weekly that lifts your highest level of vibration of happiness could be physical activity it might be something socializing like what is the one thing that you do that really brings out that highest level of happiness for you do you know what it's something really simple i have a bath My time in the bathtub is precious. I feel like there is very little that can't be solved by having a soak in the bath and a listen at the same time to an audiobook or an inspiring podcast. That is the place that I go to escape the world, recharge, and I always get out feeling a bit better. Mm, And that's actually a really nice way. There's all these little hacks that I do now that just help me defrag in a completely different way. And that's one of them is actually like doing either a meditation, exercising or having a bath. So eating dinner early, having that bath because it resets and then I go into journaling. So um, I love that for even just a tip for people who like to go, how can we start to change the habit? What can we put in? Thanks so much, Kate. I know it's early in the day there. You're kicking off the day. We're winding down the day. It's five o'clock here and uh, my boy, and my husband over at the park riding the bike so that's what I'm going to do to chill out for the rest of the afternoon Um, and we're going to have everything there for everybody to know more about Sober School thank you for doing what you're doing it's incredible and um, we need this out in the world so big kisses to you all the way from Australia Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to talk to you. You're listening to the Herpreneur Wellness Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you are the happiest person that you know. I'm out.